it's Steph. Welcome back to the podcast series, What You Didn't Know. I'm so thrilled and honored today to be speaking with a very special guest. He is a two times near death experiencer, a best selling author, international speaker. I, I could keep going on, but welcome to the podcast series, Peter Panagor. Thank you, Stephanie. Peace, everybody. How are you going today? I know it's early in the morning where you are, and it's quite dark outside where I am in Sydney. Well, I, I live on the coast of Maine in uh, the Northeast United States, and it is cool enough that I have a fire going in my studio. Oh, lovely. I have a fire outside, but it probably doesn't do me much good in here. So it's... Pro- probably not. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on today. I just thought that before we dive into the near-death experience stuff, which I know you've been talking about extensively, I, I just wanted to open today by asking you, because you've had a very extraordinary life so far, what is the most mystical thing or the strangest thing that has ever happened to you? The strangest, most mystical thing other than near-death experiences mm. uh, was an incident that happened along the side of a highway when I was in my last year of divinity school at a car wreck scene where I had an unexpected Kundalini awakening while I was treating, uh, he wasn't my patient, but a, a victim of the accident who was unconscious and bleeding internally. And suddenly in the process of rendering first aid, I had a Kundalini o- awakening. And this, this was about several years after my near-death experience. And what happened was there was nothing I could do for this guy. I couldn't even treat him for shock because other than putting a blanket on him, he was unconscious. We were waiting for the ambulance, couldn't raise his legs even because of the bleeding internally. So I put one hand over his forehead about that far away and another hand over his belly about that far away. And I just went into my 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 usual meditation, which is what I use. And I was just, I, I guess you could say I was performing Reiki or polarity, but I had not studied either of those, but I was just putting energy to him when my crown chakra and my root chakra just popped open and a repeated flash of lightning of light of of self obliterating consciousness entered into me when I, and I was not present anymore all I was was the light inside me and then it would end and I would be back where I was and then it would pulse again and it just kept repeating like this blasting through me into this guy until the ambulance arrived and one of the EMTs kind of shook me and uh, I popped out of it. They put me on neck traction, as we collared him and backboarded him and off he went to the... So that was pretty weird because it lasted three days after that. The experience wasn't limited to that one event. It was a, an extended experience of being re-infilled with the divine presence so overwhelmingly that I would collapse wherever I was to the floor. And <laughs> we had just had a hurricane where I lived. I was living in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, as a graduate student and a hurricane, pardon me, a tornado came through and knocked a tree onto my car and smashed the back window. So I had to go to a used auto parts junkyard run by a biker gang. And so I'm in there with my little button down and, you know, my blazer or looking very, very preppy. And, um, and they're all spikes and nails and leather. And, and I collapsed right in front of this thing just welled up inside of me and like a sweet, infilling of honey and the experience was that i was praying but i was no longer the prayer i was being prayed and i collapsed and i was in the state of bliss and when i came to 
that uh, I was on a sofa and they were all coddling me like the sweetest guys you'd ever met. And they were so concerned for me that not only did they get the hatchback for the car, they put it on the car for me. Oh, so by the wow. time I left, the job was done. And that sort of that infilling happened uh, over three days. It was quite the experience. I, I was presenting to my peers and my family, my wife, as kind of out of my mind because when I closed my my eyes, I was being transported across the vastness of the universe by my the same angel that had collected me when I was dead and brought to the edge of light. It was fairly. It was bizarre and beautiful and life-changing. So that's that. That's incredible. And then well, speaking of the angel of death, so you've had two near-death experiences, one whilst ice climbing a mountain and the second during a heart attack. When you sort of went to the other side, did you experience two different things, you know, each time? Or was it the same thing that you went through? Like what did you see when you crossed over? I call it my angel of death for lack of any other way of, you could call it your being of light. My experience of it was of hyper super intelligence, powerful love, compassion, knowledge, and, and just power. I had no control over myself once it, once it enveloped me. And there was a tunnel both times, but the second time that I died, I didn't go far up the tunnel. I, I chose to spend more time thinking about whether my family was ready for me to die. And so I didn't go very far the second time. I, I left my body, went a, a short distance up the tunnel, and I basically turned the angel down and said, see you later, um, catch me on the next round. The first time, I was very resistant and quite frightened and, and not able to be willing to leave my body until I was taken. And as soon as I was taken and enwrapped in this, uh, by this intellect, I was carried into a place of, I describe as nothingness. Uh, where there was there were no things, no molecules, no quarks, no atoms, nothing that's recognizable in our universe, and it was vastly infinite in all directions. But I was no longer a body; I was a, a consciousness that was integrated. My thinking was my feeling was my sensing, and I was. Rem and then the first thing that happened is I re and I was ten thousand times bigger than I am here much larger and the first thing that happened was contentment with with recognizing the memory that this is who i am and that eaterness uh, was a false self it was my container that in which i had lived but had never been me and this darkness wasn't black like when you have all your shades down and you close the door and you can't see anything it was illuminated darkness it was a place of paradox it could be both light and dark at the same time with no conflict and i was located in consider it an ocean but it was vaster than an ocean and i could see far far into the infinity but i could not see the infinity itself and i, I could keep going from here if you unless you want to ask another question it was I'll stop for a second and see what's up. I love the bit where you talk about a life review and it kind of makes sense to me that we would have one of those. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. While I was in this state of, of self-recollection, remembering that I was consciousness and not human, a, a portal I describe as a door. In my book, I call it a 70-foot tall door, but that's a metaphor. Everything that I say is metaphor because there's no language on the other side and there's, there, there's no constructs. 
is just beingness and timelessness. And so this portal opened up this doorway, this gate, you know, the pearly gates, and it was a, a flow of light and it was translucent and transparent and solid all at the same time. And I could see all those layers and I could see far into the distance through the doorway into a deeper, into a deeper infinity. And I was, I don't know if the word is compelled, but drawn to touch this. And as soon as I touched this, all these things happened simultaneously. And one of the things that happened was my life review. And my, my life review was to suffer all of the pain that I gave away in my entire life in sequence, chronological sequence, from everybody who that I had given the pain to over all of my life. And, and I would experience it from their point of view, like as if I was inside their body, feeling their pain, and I would experience it simultaneously from my point of view, all of my justifications and reasons for causing their pain. And I felt their pain and experience, only it turned out that the, the pain that I gave them and my family, you know, featured prominently, I was only 21 years old. And most of my life I had spent with my siblings. And, you know, if you have siblings, you know that you love them and you struggle with them. Yeah. And so they, my siblings featured prominently in my life review and the pain that I gave them. But it turned out that instead of just this much pain in each time I gave them, it was uh, 10,000 times larger. It was the pain that I gave them actually attached to me. It wasn't that it attached to them is that it was karmically mine. And so I suffered their pain that I gave them simultaneous with all of my justifications for causing their pain inside my head. You know, oh, I'm gonna get my sister, she did this to me. And I, I judged myself as guilty. And I judged myself, the, the judgment that I gave myself wasn't, wasn't so much for the pain that I caused specifically. It was for the comparison between myself and the divine who was present to me in a very tangible way inside of me and around me, showing me infinite love. And so the comparison was between my lack of infinite love mm. and the unlimited love of the divine. And in that comparison, I was so much less than. And so I judged myself, but the voice with a capital V, I couldn't see the divine because everything was the divine. The voice was speaking inside me saying, I love you. You're my beloved. I've always loved you. I've always known you. Every, I've known everything about you. This is why you can see and experience all of the pain you gave away because I was present during all of that. I experienced it with you, but I love you. I forgive you. It's not your fault that you were born human with the capacity for wounding others because that's what humans do. So I, I was not, although I was, I judged myself guilty, I was not guilty for having been my own creator. I was, cre I, I was created creature in the, in this world people call it the earth plane, but that's sort of a misnomer because that, that identifies us with this particular planet, but it's so much vaster than that. It's the whole universe. It's this, this whole universe is in, in the way that the laws of physics and the laws of duality function on our planet, they function across the entire universe. And that I, I could see that every human being, because I was, I was focused with my attention to earth, in addition to understanding the, the vastness of the duality, but, but as for human beings, I could see that no human beings sins, no human beings, bad karma um, was entirely their fault. Although we have will, it's built into the structure of the universe in, in its entirety that we are less than perfect. And because of our less than perfectness, we function as, as animals. 
as, as embodied in flesh. And we, we have to negotiate that. And so we're not at fault for being made this way. Mm-hmm. That's, we didn't, we didn't need, we, how can we be blamed for something we didn't make? We can't be. And so I was, I was infilled with this love, although the love that had been given to me in my life uh, and that I had given away, I'd also carried with me. By experiencing the divine love, a connection was made and I was able to accept the divine love and be infilled with beauty and bliss, paradise, healing, wholeness, understanding, wisdom, knowledge, knowledge like anything I wanted to know in the universe, I knew. So it was, I, de- I describe my time, my life review variously. I describe it as, as my own personal hell that I created for myself, mm-hmm. but also I describe it as the divine fire of purgative love because it was, because it was cleansing for me. I, I didn't, in order to experience the fullness of the divine unity, I couldn't have any of myself be present. I couldn't have any of the chains uh, that I had forged for myself, like uh, it, it says in uh, Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. I, c- I couldn't have any of those chains with me. They had to be obliterated, mm-hmm. and they were. Is it possible for souls to stay stuck in that place? I mean, if you've done some really horrible mm-hmm. stuff, is that almost where we might get the term of a lost soul or someone who can't rise above that or is it up to you when you feel like you're worthy of moving on i wasn't worthy of it Uh, there was no worthiness in me i was only uh, i was full of shame and guilt for having uh, caused so much pain in my life and what happened for me was i accepted the love that was offered that's all it took Mm -hmm. and it, it seems to me that those people who and I'm not the only near-death experiencer who's, who's been through a hell of, of a kind. And the, one, the people that I know who have been through a hell, they always get rescued if they're there long enough. If they're not there long enough, they get sent back to earth mm-hmm. and uh, pretty directly from there. And they come back changed people. Their time in, in that hell leaves them with a greater desire for love. So whatever, whatever they needed to learn from that experience, they do. But it, it seems to me that, and this is only what it seems to me, from my my own experience is that it's a cleansing place that's not a it's not a permanent structure mm-hmm. it lasted only you know i was in timelessness but which means there was no measure of time but it was only moments and so can a soul get trapped there i don't know maybe i don't know it the self-evident power of love and forgiveness is so overwhelming i can't imagine how that's even possible yeah. because in compared to my tiny little life my little troubles were a drop in the ocean of love and the the power of the ocean of love was so fulfilling uh, and so overwhelming i can't imagine that it that it's a permanent state for anybody that's reassuring to know i also wondered because you just spoke before about having knowledge but when you were up there were you able to see things for the future things like you know covid or world wars or no i i couldn't the future is full of from where I, from what I saw, mm. the future is full of, of millions of probabilities, mm-hmm. and all of the probabilities. So, our yesterday was uh, May fourth. May the fourth be with you, mm-hmm. Star Wars, right? And <laughs> yeah. so, one of, one of the things Yoda says is something like, uh, uh, "Difficult to see the future is always changing," and that's it's always changing because of human will. And so, I didn't see any of that. Mm-hmm. I, I, what I did see was the temporality of all life experience as uh, less important than the divine life. And the divine life is 
as I live into my life here, I think we focus way too much on what might happen in the future instead of aiming our hearts at the, at the eternal divine. Because once we lock into the eternal divine, the future doesn't matter so much mm -hmm. because the future is as temporary as our lives are. Mm -hmm. and, and although suffering is real and hurricanes and tornadoes and COVID and, and wars and all the rest of that stuff, I, I read this morning that you know, China and Australia are, are putting up their fists against each other. And you know, that's a real thing. You mm -hmm. can't, that's not pretend, that's yeah. real. Yep. But it's also only temporary. And what isn't temporary is eternal and what is eternal is our consciousness. And if we, if we aim instead of at earth, we aim our consciousness at the divine, at, at trying to attach, look through the eye inside ourselves that God, through which God sees us. And when I say God, I don't mean a white guy with a beard sitting in the throne. To me, I use that word that means love, bliss, understanding, knowledge, uh, ineffable, all these other things. And if we aim at that one thing, then our experience and, and that one thing lives inside us that, that influences not only our, our interior world, it influences the world around us. And so if, if we want to change the world, we need to dive inside ourselves and connect to the holy. And then that radiates out through all our decisions, all of the willful choices that we make. And we, and I can't control climate change. I can't mm. control a, a tsunami, but I can control my experience in the world in relationship to compassion and love. And one of the things I saw very, very clearly is that I don't matter at all. I am, I am infinitesimally small and in terms of earth and just geologic time and the billions of people who have already lived and died, but on a larger astronomical scale with all the galaxy, uh, the, the trillions of galaxies and other planets out there, my life is nothing, but my soul is everything. My soul is everything. And so I wish I could tell you what's going to happen next. Mm. I live, I live dislocated in time in my personal life. I, I see my future moments before it happens all day long. I live sort of in a constant deja vu, but it doesn't extend out to, you know, what's going to be in the headline of the newspaper. I don't, I don't know. Thank you. It's just really interesting to know. Also, from what I understand, did you essentially have a choice to come back both times? You did. I did. You did. Does everybody get a choice? No. Okay. No, most people get sent back. I've met uh, maybe a half a dozen of us who had a choice. Mm -hmm. Why I was given a choice, I don't really know. Yeah. But I know that I, I asked to come back the first time and was granted the the boon to be able to come back, even though the desire of the divine was for me to stay. And the second time I just picked it. Okay. I just kind of turned my back on the angel and then uh, went back into my body because I didn't think my kids and my grandchild, they were ready for me to leave quite yet. And, and, and the reason why I chose to come back uh, both times, a reason why, I, two reasons, I came back for love both times for the sake of my parents suffering the first time and for the sake of my mostly my granddaughter the second time mm -hmm. I was comfortable coming back because I know that my physical life is the length of the wink of an eye it's so short mm -hmm. um, compared to my eternal nature and this is not my first life mm. uh, this is is it I hope to God it's my last one I don't I don't want to come back if I don't have I'll come back if I have to mm. um, especially if I have no choice um, but if I have a choice, I want to I move on. And so we'll see how that goes. 
Can we talk about past lives? Is that something we can? We can talk a little bit about it. I can't see what I was before from where I am now, but mm -hmm. when I was dead, I saw multiple lives. The strange thing about near-death experience and other kinds of mystical experiences is that you often have multiple points of view mm -hmm. at the same simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So you can be experiencing, a, a, you could be inside yourself. I can be inside myself right now looking at you through this lens, but also in a mystical near-death experience, I can be outside myself looking at myself, looking at you. Yeah. And they're not, they're not separate. They're the same experience and they're not, uh, there's no sort of dissonance with it. It's very unitive. And so I could see I, I was this massively long eternal soul that had a creation point. And, and I, could, I was inside of this and experiencing these sort of thin cuts in my soul that entered into universes where I was living lives or had lived lives because I was in timelessness. Mm -hmm. So I couldn't, even when I was there, I couldn't tell whether they were past or simultaneously present, yep. but I can't see what they were now. Mm. I can only see that they existed. And one of my takeaways with that is in the same way that I talked about the future and, and versus eternity is that I, I'm much less interested in what other human form I've ever been in or any other form I've ever been in because those have never been my true self. Mm -hmm. They've always been incarnations and those incarnations are not me. Mm -hmm. I, I am soul. I am consciousness. I am created creature made by the divine. Uh, I am a spark of goodness. I am and in my, my higher self. People say my higher self, well, it's not my higher self. It is, that is myself. This is, that's my perspective. This is the, uh, it's more like looking down into the lower self. Oh, there's that lower self again. Mm -hmm. So I know that I've lived other lives. Mm -hmm. They don't matter so much to me because they're all caught in the temporality of uh, the physical universe and none of them are the fullness of me. And I came, when I came back into this body, the first time and the second time, most of me didn't come back. Most of me, most of me is still up there, out there in heaven, mm -hmm. uh, in the divine presence, and much less of me is here. Mm -hmm. And so my, my perspective isn't so much that earth matters or my life matters. My perspective is that the divine matters and that heaven matters more. And that's a, I know that's an unusual perspective. I know that lots of near-death experiencers don't have that point of view, which is fine. Um, everybody, everybody gets the near-death experience that they need, mm. and and they're all different from each other because each person is different. And the the compassion of the divine gives us the lessons we need to to help us in our life in this life. So my experience and my lessons are are primarily for me. Yeah. So I guess that's my long, long response. If you were to have another near-death experience now, you know, in the near future, and you had the choice for the third time, would you choose to come back? I, I think I would this time, even though after my first one, all I wanted, I prayed for most of 30 years to die. Mm -hmm. Every day, prayed for my own death. Take me home, God. But with my granddaughter here, and that her dad is out of the picture and needs to be out of the picture, mm -hmm. She's six years old now. It's been five years since I died. 
last time and she needs uh she needs me i'm her golden they call my family calls me she calls me bampa mm -hmm. and i'm her gold my family calls me the golden bampa because mm -hmm. i'm the i'm her shining star mm -hmm. i'm i'm you know her mom is the most important person in her life there's no doubt about that but i'm i'm the male person in her life and mm -hmm. so i need to be here for her for as long as i can be mm -hmm. and i've made that promise to myself so i'm gonna stick around if i die again i'll if i can i'll I'll choose to come back. The, the problem with that is, is that there's damage. Every time I come back, I have physical damage. Some people right. get healed from their physical damage. I have not. Right. I have frostbite from my first experience. I can't feel one of my toes. My hands hurt all the time. My feet hurt a lot from the cold. And this time I had a lot of heart damage. I was, by the time I got into the surgery, I was two and a half hours from the initial event. And so what that means is you get a, they call it the golden hour with a, a massive heart attack, which is congenital in my family. You know, it's one of the things we have in our DNA. And so I had, a, I had quite a bit of damage in my heart. So I have scarring in my heart. So that's, so now I am not the same physically. I was, a, you know, like a, a, quite the athlete. Mm. Now I'm, I'm like half the athlete. <laughs> so, so next time around, I expect some sort of suffering. If that happens, you know, I'll choose to come back, but there's a cost to pay. Right. Wow. And so if that's home and that's, and home. that's home and that's, what's this? <laughs> what is it? Why are we here if it's, it's suffering and the, what's this for? Well, I can say for myself what how I experience it. Uh, it's for me, it's to bring as much love into the world as I possibly can in my frail and failed way and to be a channel of the divine into the present world to bring more light here. Uh, people talk about this as the school. Some people talk about it as a playground. I, I, I've seen far too much suffering in my life in lots of different ways, uh, wars and violence and tornadoes and death. And I, I, was a, I, sp I spent 20 years as a pastor uh, of a church and was directly exposed to human suffering on a daily basis uh, that was not my own mm. or my family's. And when I was dead, I my access to knowledge was infinite. And so from my point of view here, this isn't so much a school. This is, for me, it's a place of ignorance. For me, I'm ignorant here. I could only carry back with me a very small percentage of what I knew in totality on the other side, where, where my brain wasn't in the way of my thinking or understanding. And so what does that leave me with here? If this, for me, is not the school of learning, what is this place? It, it full of suffering and it's not just earth full of suffering it's it's the whole universe if you just look at our galaxy the center of our galaxy is a supermassive black hole that's that's eating star systems you know and if there's any if there's ever been any life on those star systems they're getting consumed so it's not just us in the suffering it's the whole universe right down in the microbial level so what's the point then what's what's the point and where I land with all of this is love, is the sharing of, of human love, because love was the only treasure that I got to keep. I did not keep myself when I was dead. Peter was no longer in the unitive state of being. I was no longer Peter. But what I did have with me was all of the love that was given to me and all of the love that I gave away. That is the eternal treasure of life. Mm -hmm. And so if that, from where I stand, if that's true for everybody, then love is really the, the means through which we evolve in the next life. Because I don't think that, you know, we have evolution on earth, but in my experience of the other side, there's evolution on the other side too. 
-hmm. We evolve and grow on the other side in the commodity. The transactional tool is love. The crazy thing about it is that the divine is completely made of love. Love beyond our capacity for understanding that is larger than, than any astronomical figures that we can conceive of. There's so much love and that love is available to all of us. Like we all have a, an access to the bank account and our bank account is as full as we want it to be. But we have to empty our bank account of ourselves in order to have it full of divine love in order to share that. And so, you know, humanity's been on this planet for as as sapiens, as homo sapiens say for 100,000 years, maybe, mm -hmm. right? And we're very much a blip in the in the evolution of, of species on, on Earth. And what sets us apart is we have this capacity for self-reflection and thinking and relationship and society and language uh, and culture. And, and we've been tribal, we're still tribal. I mean, that that's, this conflict that I read about today and the news between China and Australia that's brewing, it's very tribal. Mm. How are we going to bridge the tribalism of humanity if not through love? If not through recognizing that the light inside of me is the same light that's inside of you. It's not a separate light. It's not your light and my light. It is the divine light itself. And when we access that inside ourselves, which is why diving inside yourself, the only way out is in here. The only way to connect to the divine is by going on the inside. And the deeper that you go on the inside, the more visible the light becomes on the outside. And when the light becomes visible on the outside, especially inside of other people, well, then all the barriers break down. And it's no longer important whether you're in one political party or of one nationality or of one ethnicity. It, those things vanish when you recognize that the light is exactly the same. Uh, so maybe, maybe what it's all about on earth is creating, and maybe now's the time to do this with, with, with science, bringing back the dead by the tens of millions all over the world through near-death experience, in, in the ER, through near-death experience, maybe now's the time for love to take preeminence, to take dominance and, and eliminate religion and eliminate uh, hatred, eliminate fear of the other. I know it's a lot of work. I know that it's a little pie in the sky, um, but never in the history of the world has ever something happened like this, where there's so many dead people walking around talking about love. Thank you. Peter, was there anything else you wanted to mention that I didn't ask about the divine or the other side or the near-death experience before we take a change of pace into uh, the deaf community? Sure. Everyone is beloved of God. No one is excluded. Everyone is particularly and personally a beloved child of the divine. And, and it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what color your skin is, what religion you have or no religion, none of that matters because each one of us is universally beloved, individually and particularly. And I saw that when I was dead. I, that's part of my, that's part of what was given to me was that truth. So, so everybody listening to this or watching this, take a moment, take a breath, realize that you're beloved. And, and even say to yourself, I am beloved because you are with a love beyond your capacity to grasp. Well, you and I have something in common uh, in our work as well. I started uh, teaching podcasting to the deaf community last year in COVID, just changing 
things up a little bit with captioning and uh, what we call Auslan here, our sign language and um, just communicating in another way and captioning as well. And I understand that you also uh, have had the privilege to work with the deaf community as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, when I was the year that I died, I was on ex- on the National Student Exchange in the United States and I, I went to a different university and I ended up in a communications class that was a sign language class and uh, American, we call it ASL, American Sign Language. Mm-hmm. And and I was good at it. I was I was a natural at it. And so they had a theater company that came out of this university that did an annual national tour. And I auditioned and I got in it. And so I spent the entire year studying American Sign Language and preparing for this theater tour. We did 24,000 miles and 64 shows all across the United States. And then when I got back to the University of Massachusetts, where I was an undergraduate, I rapidly went through the program there and took classes at another university. And I ended up as a as an American Sign Language instructor. I was the youngest. I was the youngest instructor in the history of the university, as because I was still an undergraduate, and um, I didn't get paid. What I got was it was credit, and so I got uh, school credits. And then, so I did a lot of sign language. I worked a lot with the deaf for that entire that first year. And then I toyed around with being an interpreter and I did a little interpreting here and a little interpreting there and decided that that was not the, the route I was going to take, that I needed to, to head to graduate school for, to study mysticism. So I kind of left that behind, but it was a total privilege for that entire four, okay, those 24,000 miles, we stayed in, in houses uh, that were owned by people who were hearing impaired and or deaf people. And uh, we only spoke sign language. That's all, that's all we, because we had deaf people in our community, in our theater company. And so I went, I went about six months not speaking Yeah, and it was awesome. It was awesome. And I don't know if you know this about the United States, but there was an island, there's an island off of Massachusetts called Nantucket and Nantucket was the whaling capital of the world in the 1800s. And every person on the island spoke sign language. Wow. Just because they grew up with it or they had to? Because they were... Well, because there was a genetic strain on the island of uh, hearing impaired. And so in order to in- be inclusive of everybody, everybody spoke sign language. Wow, I love hearing that. Peter, was there anything else that you would like to add that we didn't get to talk about earlier? Sure, I'd like uh, to mention to people peterpanagor.love. That's my website, mm-hmm. peterpanagor.love. I, I have run a global counseling service for uh, spiritual conversation for mystics who are, have had uh, experiences that are, they aren't able to talk to anybody else about. I have a, I have a graduate degree from Yale in, uh, in mysticism and I spent 20 years in counseling as a counselor. Um, so I offer that as a service. I want to mention um, my uh, international audible bestseller, Heaven is Beautiful. I'm reachable and I love to communicate. So I, I'm here. The last thing I want to say is two last things is I want to thank you, Stephanie, for having me on your show in Australia, um, because this is a this is a privilege to me. We're 10,000 miles away and I'm looking right into your eye. And the other is, is that God is love. And and if, even if your life is suffering now and, and you're wondering why you're here and you're wondering why life is full of pain, if you aim, if you aim your heart at the divine, it'll give you strength to endure and the moment that you die, when the door opens, you'll see yourself for who you are and all suffering will end. 
And if you spend your life in pursuit of that, it, it grows inside you now. You don't have to wait for it then. It's here and now, always. Thank you for having me, Stephanie. That was Peter Panagor on the podcast series, What You Didn't Know. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Stay tuned. There'll be something very different coming next time. Take care. Thank you.